Obviously, Christmas is awesome uh, because you couldn't have Easter if he wasn't born. But Easter is what acknowledges and creates and made a way for our salvation uh, through Christ's death and resurrection. And the resurrection itself is the proof that all his teachings were true and right. And so um, had he stayed in the tomb... You know, you could say, well, those are good teachings, and he probably would have a lot of followers. But Easter, the resurrection, coming back from the dead, verified that all his teachings were absolutely true because there was was proof that he was here. So uh, come and celebrate and rejoice and be excited about that. That would be incredible. So thank you for that. So um, as I already said, it's Holy Week. Well, what kicks off Holy Week is today called Palm Sunday. Of course, they weren't called that back then, but today is what we call Palm Sunday. And it's, uh, it was a special day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the crowd waved these palm branches in the air and then laid them down on the ground along with their coats. They laid it there and Jesus walked over it with a donkey, you know? And it's like, why is he walking over their coats? Well, there is a whole meaning and story to that, uh, that it was prophesied many centuries before. And I think a lot of us in this modern time aren't completely aware of what all of that means. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But first, I kind of want to ask this opening question. Do you ever go to a restaurant and you look at the menu and you select an item to order and only to find that when it arrives, it looks nothing like what you expected, right? You ever have that? You know, you think you're going to get something savory and saucy. Instead, it looks a little dry and tastes a little on the sweet side. And you're like, ugh. You know, so disappointing. Did not match up to what you expected at all. How about something far more important than an item at a restaurant? What about marriage or a strong relationship? Um, How many of you have this fantasy that it was going to be this sweet bliss full of romantic evenings and long walks on the beach? Yeah, no. Uh, We just sometimes do, though, have an idealized view of of marriage. And when Diane and I were dating, we took a personality uh, profile test during our premarital counseling. And and I remember the facilitator saying to us, uh, and me specifically, after reading our results, he said, Len, you have absolutely no clue who you are marrying. Based on my responses, he just like, you have no idea who she is, because I was young and dumb and I was in love and I had projected all of this image and these ideas of marriage and I put them on her and, and it worked out fine, you know, 36 years later, it worked out fine because she's just awesome, but she was not the person that I thought she was. I had idealized her. I had projected what our relationship was. And I think that a lot of us do that. We have expectations of what somebody will be like. And expectations, they can be powerful, right? But even more powerful are unmet expectations. We can totally get set in a wrong direction when we build something up so strongly and then have it dashed right before us. It can set a lot of us into a tailspin that can really be hurtful and and, and be hurtful for a long time. 
and hurt people around us because we didn't have the right expectations and it didn't follow through the way we expected. So we need to take some time to, in the restaurant, read the menu better, perhaps, or ask some questions. And more importantly, in a relationship, we need to take time to get to know the person. We need to get to know them for who they really are, not for who we hope they will be or expect they will be, but for who they tell us they are and what they bring to that relationship. Again, today is Palm Sunday, and this is a classic example in the Bible of expectations gone wrong. The Bible tells us that God created us in his image. The problem is, though, is that so many of us, we try to create God in our image. We've grown comfortable putting Jesus in our box, having him fill our expectations. We've kind of decided who Jesus is, what he likes, what he cares for, what makes him happy, rather than well, rather than looking at who he says he is. And this happened in Jesus' life from the time he started his public ministry. His followers were assuming that he was going to start a political revolution. You see, the people at that time, they were in captivity under Roman rule, and they hated it. And let's face it, as you read the Bible, Jesus is an interesting person, isn't he? And in his day, people were kind of confused about him. He's a good teacher, but religious leaders hated him. He talked about a new kingdom. He performed miracles. He hung out with questionable people. He spoke in mysterious stories. It just was confusing to a lot of people, and they didn't know how to handle him. And all over the land, people were really hungry for change and revolution and they expected that a prophet was going to rise up and set them free from Roman rule. And at the time of Christ, it wasn't uncommon, actually, for teachers or leaders to be walking around the countryside with a following. And they'd be uh, teaching principles and ideas, or they would have political aspirations, and they were causing these uprisings and revolts and rebellions. And it was just kind of common. The time was ripe. Or change. And Jesus came on the scene. And many people followed him. They followed him over the course of the years and, and as he was teaching, but they didn't really understand what he was all about. There were always a group of hanger-oners who were expecting that he was going to have this political message and cause this revolt and rebellion. And Jesus knew that there was a buzz about him. And so one time he asked his followers this. It says, when, the, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And this is powerful. Jesus responds to them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? 
And of course, if we've read the story, we know that Peter responds with just the most perfect, incredible answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But the crowds, they weren't there yet. They hadn't caught up to that yet. Jesus was still a mystery, and people were making huge assumptions. And this especially became true this final week, what has become known as Holy Week. And on Palm Sunday, again, it wasn't called that then, on Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And he's riding on that donkey, fulfilling those prophecies from long past. And they're waving these palm branches, which were, are kind of the same sort of symbol or purpose as protester signs or flags today, proclaiming a cause or, or following a person. And they're waving these branches and they're laying them down at his feet along with their coats. And what they're basically saying and declaring is that Jesus is the next king. When they cried out, Hosanna, God save us, it had nothing to do with spiritual freedom from sin. Instead, it was occupation from Rome. They believed that he was heading into Jerusalem to set up a new government, that he was sent by God to be the next king. And they were right at least partially. He was sent by God, and he is the king. But he is not the king of an earthly government. He's the king of a heavenly government, king of our hearts, king of a future eternity in heaven with him. Have you ever been misunderstood? I mean really misunderstood. Your motives questioned, your intentions questioned. It can be so frustrating. It can be so painful. And as Jesus is entering the city, the Bible tells us this. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. He came with one purpose, and they all expected him to do something completely different. And their misunderstanding, their wrong expectations of who he came to be grieved him. He saw them as a city lost. He came to save them, and they only wanted political revolution. They didn't want him for who he came to be. Turn your attentions to the screens. They relieved the palms of their branches as the people's palms grasped and then brandished those leafy emblems of both festival and rebellion. These were a people who felt as though they had already spent their second, third, and last chances on zealots, men like Barabbas and that now famous Maccabean. But 
this Jesus, this new champion, was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as Zechariah had envisioned him. This king was coming to daughter Zion to take the wicked Roman chariots away from Ephraim. Surely this Jesus was the one to bring God's people salvation. Surely he was the one pictured all across the prophet's hopeful panorama. So they shouted, save us please. They cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this Jesus would answer yes to their cry of save us, save us. But not in the way they expected. Not by the violent overthrow predicted by their palmy political propaganda. For the humility of that donkey was nothing compared to the way he would answer their shouts of Hosanna. For the path on which he rode took him not to a throne, but to a court. Not to a place fit for a heavenly king, but to the feet of an earthly lord. It was there, before another crowd, in the hands of Pilate, whom God endowed with the power to answer the shouts rising loud, demanding crucifixion for this man who was so recently avowed as Hosanna by those who had laid down a pathway of both palm branch and personal shroud. It was there that he would show how he would answer both crowds both the Hosanna save us cry and the incessant crucify. For what was missed by each tribe, by those who cried out their Hosanna boast and those who cried that this man should be nailed upon two posts, is that Jesus would say no to neither request. Instead, he would say yes to both. In fact, he would accomplish salvation by such infliction. He would be Hosanna by undergoing crucifixion. He would say yes to cries of love and yes to cries of hate. And for us, it is good news that he answered this way. For we too cry Hosanna. We too need to be saved. But we also cry crucify him. We also are filled with hate. We need to be rescued from our evil, but when goodness comes to us, we take what is good and by our evil, hang it on a cross. But this is how he saves us. This is how he loves us. He answered our cry of need and our cry of hate with one final yes poured out as he cried so that the sin that put him on the cross he paid for as he died and the salvation for which we asked by his yes he supplied. So come lay down your branches and come lift up your palms for the king of our salvation said yes to the night of death so that he could raise the light of dawn who do you say jesus is what kind of jesus do you want do you want the Jesus who makes nice, some sort of warm, fuzzy, feel-good morality? 
Do you want the Jesus that gives you a purpose to do some good things for others, sort of a relief agency type of faith? Or do you want the Jesus that fits into your politics, justice or freedom, as Paul shared a couple of weeks ago? My hope is that each of us will go on a journey to lay down our expectations, our assumptions, our politics, our idealized projections of who Jesus is, and take him at his word, who he says he is. In the book, the Bible book of Matthew, there in chapter 5, and, and on, there's recorded some of the greatest words of Jesus, his teaching that has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. And riddled throughout this sermon is a pair of phrases where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, whether you're just seeking to discover who he is and follow him, or you have been a long-time follower. There is so much that gets in our way of seeing him clearly. I find that I can get in ruts at times and do the Christian thing, right? Apathy can set in, or assumptions can re-emerge and take over. And Jesus is no longer the real and powerful and transformational God who saves that he wants to be in my life, in your life. Following Easter, Paul's going to be starting a message series um, talking about who Jesus is, or who he says he is. And I hope you'll begin to look at Jesus over the next coming weeks Um, as he comes to you, rather than have him try to live up to your expectations. Because you see, it's never fair to have people try to live up to what we want them to be instead of receiving them as they are. But for today, because I don't want you to wait for two weeks to apply anything, for today, I ask you to make a commitment. This week, would you all read the book of John? It's not that long, the Gospel of John. As we go into Holy Week, as we look at Jesus' life and what he came to do and his purpose, would you remind yourself this week by reading the book of John? And in particular, as you read that, ask yourself what it means and how you live your life in response to that. There are a number of statements that Jesus says, seven of them, where he starts with the words, I am. Take extra care when you read those to see who he is saying he is in his own words. And then again, ask, how do you respond to that? As the worship team comes up, I want to just summarize those seven statements that he makes, the I am statements of John. But again, I'd love for you to please read the whole book in context. See where he's placing these statements in the broader teaching and the experiences that are going on. But for now, here they are. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And lastly, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Is that the Jesus that you expect? Is that the Jesus that you've come to know? If not, I invite you to rethink your expectations, to adjust your expectations, and take Jesus as he says he is. Not as you wish him to be, not as you hope him to be, Not the cute little statue on the dashboard, but a real God-saving, transformational God that he says he is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus for a purpose to transform each one of us, to establish a new kingdom that is that you are the king of and ruling our hearts and lives and joining us together as the church, an eternal kingdom. Father God, I pray that you would help each one of us by your Holy Spirit to receive Jesus as he came to be, the savior of the world, the savior of our lives. Thank you for the freedom from sin that you have accomplished for us. Thank you for the love that you have shown to us. We are so undeserving, and yet you call us your own when we receive Jesus into our lives. God, I thank you for that. Amen. We're going to jump into a song here in a second. and I don't know, I just thinking thinking through today like that thought of expectation right you know this morning we had so many technical problems as we were rehearsing we didn't even run this song until last service so those poor guys <laughs> they, were, they were in the rehearsal there um, you know my guitar stopped working we got some ears going off all crazy the pads weren't on their normal loop and everything. It's like all these things, right, that we expect to work on a normal Sunday morning. All of a sudden, weren't, right? Uh, 
and really thinking about that last verse about Jesus is the vine and uh, apart from him we are nothing it's like who are we to try and put our hope into the soundboard or into the lights or into the, the video service like who are we to put our hope in our circumstance and the things around us right and the truth is that anything apart from him that we put our hope in will fail but if we put our hope and our trust in him and him alone right he will take even the the worst situation and turn it into something beautiful no matter what we're going through right he is the only thing that we can put our hope in so we're going to sing about the way that he's transforming us to this day he turns graves, things that were dead, into gardens, things that are alive. Bones into armies. Takes beauty from ashes. Like it's an amazing transformative God that we have immense hope in this morning. So would you all stand with me and sing? There's nothing else in this world that that we can trust. In. Cause I searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty prayer